Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. During the middle part of the last century, these women came into American homes and presented an idealized version of what the American family looked like. They set style and homemaking trends, but did these icons really represent reality or just an image through a 1950s television lens? The end. Let's talk about the real housewives of the 1950s. Yes, let's. But first, let's drop them into history. In 1952, the Mr. Potato Head toy is introduced. Puerto Rico becomes a self-governing U.S. Commonwealth. Ronald Reagan marries Nancy Davis. The Korean War was in its second year. Eisenhower defeats Stevenson for the U.S. presidency. And on October 3rd, 1952, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet premiered. The Fabricated Adventures of a Real-Life Family. So with such an unusual show, we thought we might just um, tell you what the structure's going to be a little bit. <laughs> it's not going to be the same as usual. At first we were like, oh, 50s Housewives, this will be fun! And then we actually got down to it. We're like, okay, we need a little... We're all over the place. Mm-hmm. So let's talk first about the shows, the women of these shows. Then we'll talk about what they represented. And then we'll get into the historic... The times, what what set the stage for these women to be the way that they were and to set this ideal, and then why did women gobble it up? And then we'll look at how we look back at them. Right. Go. Excellent. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so first, let's talk about those unreachable icons, shall we? Sure. And we're just going to, I would hate for someone to come. You forgot, and we didn't say your favorite, so we're going to touch on the ones that were the biggies, and they represent all the other ones, too. It's not that we didn't look at them. It's just that we, we want to get a general idea of what this woman looked like and what this what television presented to the American people about this woman. Starting with Ozzie and Harriet Nelson. Harriet Nelson, mother of the Nelson family, mother of David and Eric, who's we called Ricky on the show. Ricky Nelson, he went on to be a teen heartthrob. It was the first radio show from the mid-40s to the mid-50s, so it kind of overlapped. Which happened a lot. Radio mm-hmm. shows often made the transition to television. Right. And Ozzy wanted to see if the family could also make that transition. Because this is, this is a real family. They need to be able to work. They were doing cool in radio, but are they going to be able to do it in front of a camera? So they actually did a theatrical release first. Here come the Nelsons with Rock Hudson. And that served as the pilot for the show and acts as a test to see if the, the whole family could work together in this medium. And I guess it worked. It was very successful. Um, this is kind of interesting. The exterior shots when you watch the TV show are actually the Nelson's house in L.A. I didn't know that. I know. The interior is a soundstage, but those exterior shots of that pristine suburban home, this was the quote reality and we watch the quote reality shows now so it's yeah. kind of the same you know you're following your real housewives of new jersey okay she's following the real housewives <laughs> of new jersey <laughs> new jersey and new york i love those two the rest of them are just absolute train wrecks well okay let's do our two but anyway but it's an interesting mix this show yeah. of what's reality and what's fiction and there's no dividing line mm-hmm. really which is interesting Right, and it's based on, the Nelson's shows were based on real things that happened in their family. Who's the next most famous TV family? I would think that it would be the Donna Reed show. 
Now, she actually didn't come on until the late 850s, but when we look back at this, again, it's stereotypical housewife, Donna Reed was, she was the it girl. And I have to say, I kind of liked Donna Reed. Donna Reed didn't put me to sleep like Harriet Nelson did, and I'm, and I apologize, Nelson family. <laughs> you were on a long time. You had great success. There's a little twinkle of humor in the Donna Reed show that there perhaps wasn't in Ozzy and Harriet. There I was. I, yeah. And I think she was a little bit more realistic to our modern view. You know, we think back, oh, it's the perfect idealized 50s housewife. What does she look like? She's got on her perfect dress with her Peter Pan collar and her pearls. She's got on her high heels and her apron. And her teeny tiny waist. Teeny tiny. I know. Average size waist in 1955? 23 inches. Average size waist in 2011, 32 inches. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. It's not, it's not just, it could be the corsetry, honestly. Sure. If we went around, you know, cranked by the precursors to Lycra, which Mm -hmm. I don't know the name of that particular synthetic squeezer, but, uh. It was nylon, wasn't it? Some mm, type of. Girdles. Girdles. With elastic. Yeah. Donna Reed show uh, looked at the Stone family. Alex was a pediatrician. He made house calls all the time, and he had an office in their home. And uh, Donna and was the wife, and Jeff and Mary was Shelley Fabre, who went on to a little bit of stardom of her own, were the children. Later on in the show, they actually adopted another little girl because Shelley Fabre wanted to move on to other acting pursuits until the family adopted someone else. Man, almost every family show ends up doing that. The littlest kid gets uncute, and then uh-huh. all of a sudden there's like a grandchild That's or an adopted, adopted friend. Right. Hmm. <laughs> well, it happened. Perhaps premiered by the Donna Reed experience. Um, I There's an episode of the Donna Reed show, and you can watch Donna Reed on Hulu. There's an episode, it was episode 25 of season one, and it's called The Ideal Wife. And Donna is actually, because people think that she's perfect. And they're saying she's perfect, and she's saying, I'm not perfect. Why do you think I'm perfect? And she's actually having an inner dialogue with herself about, why do people think I'm so perfect all the time? And she, So I thought that was very modern. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't her saying, why, yes, I am quite perfect. You know, cookie. <laughs> the Donna Reed show was pivotal in, in our story here because it was the first show to really focus on the mom as the central character. Ozzie and Harriet and um, some of the other ones that we're going to talk about. The mom wasn't, she was just part of the ensemble. It was really right. from the dad or the family or the kid's point of view. So she wasn't really on until the late 50s, but she still represents that ideal, I think. So the third, um, third big cheese, the one that I have the most love for, honestly, mm-hmm. I don't know why, and the name that has become shorthand for this type of woman, mm-hmm. June Cleaver. Right. There's a funny part in um, Leave it to Beaver that goes right along with that Donna Reed thing, too. Mm-hmm. Ward says, hey, Gilbert's always talking about his parents. Have you ever met him? And June says, I see her at the supermarket. She seems like such a calm, sensible person. And Ward goes, you can't go by that. You might look the same way to her. <laughs> so you see, everyone's perfection was on the outside. That's right. And the doubts were always on the inside. And <laughs> husbands always thought they were funny. Yes. yes. That was really hysterical. Even though she wasn't necessarily the main character, somehow the Donna Reed didn't necessarily take on the, the consciousness the way that June Cleaver, that's an image. You know exactly what she looks like. Mm-hmm. Right. The high heels, 
the pearl necklace, the nipped-in waist, the hostess apron, the yes. sheer, un- impractical hostess apron. Who was going to cook in that? Stuff hat or organza with embroidery on it. Mm-hmm. Like a ruffle, mm-hmm. and it's slippery, and if you spill a drink on it, it'll roll right off. It won't get soft. So it's funny. It wasn't practical. It was part of the costume, part of the expected appearance. Of Isn't that interesting? And, uh, and, um, and Barbara Billingsley, even in... An interview said that she they put the call that collar. <laughs> Isn't that funny that that slipped out? They put the, <laughs> they put the pearl necklace on her to hide a shadow in her neck, and they put the heels on her to make her taller than the boys. But I'm sure if that were true, wouldn't Ward have a shadow on his neck? Where's his necklace? Well, his necklace he doesn't need one because he's got the collar. He's got his shirt collar on. Huh. Their shirts were always buttoned up. They're sitting. I mean, all these shows. Dad is sitting in the living room. Maybe he has his slippers on, but he's wearing a shirt with a tie, reading the paper. You know, king, he's on his throne. (laughs) He is on his throne. He's the king of the house as far as these shows are concerned. That's very true. In fact, there's a couple more shows that refer to that fact that Daddy's the king of the house. There's Father Knows Best. And there's Make Room for Daddy. And Father Knows Best, that starred Jane Wyatt. I mean... If I was going to idealize myself to be a a housewife, I would want to be like Jane Wyatt. Her perfect pronunciation, her little cropped hair. She was just so cute. She actually won three Emmys for her role in Father Knows Best, The Adventures of the Anderson Family. Good. Princess and Kitten. Um, another couple shows that did look at family life in the 50s would have been The Honeymooners, although there was no kids in that one. And it was a significantly lower class than our idealized That's drama. That's very true. So the, the way that they lived was a little bit different um, than the stereotypical housewife that we're talking about, but we would be remiss for not including. If, that's correct. The icon. And the other icon that we just can't skip over would be Lucille Ball and the I Love Lucy shows. I mean, I love, I love Lucy. Who doesn't? Who doesn't like to say me to bite a vegemint? <laughs> Who? Who can say it? <laughs> that was very good. Say it with me. You're awesome. Me to bite a vegemint. Me to bite a vegemint. No. no. See, I can never say it. <laughs> Lucy was uh, different in that she was not perfect. And that's part of the the hook is, and that subtext was, that there was perfection out there, but <laughs> Lucy just never made it. And that's okay. I think that's okay. That's what the comedy was all about. I think so, too. And they wore house coats. And slippers. And bathrobes. And curlers in their hair. They wore flats. And those um, pants. Pedal pushers. Yes. With the flats. I mean, that's such a classic silhouette. What all these TV moms had in common mm-hmm. was perfection, basically. Right. Don't there you think? This, and I think it set a level that they just, how could an av- average woman do that? How could she, she can't. We're looking back at it now and going, that's ridiculous. But did they at the time, did it make them feel worse? Or was it a, something to aspire to? What I'm thinking of as a modern parallel is the Martha Stewart Living magazine where everybody seems to just be able to can their own tomatoes that they've saved the seeds from a friend <laughs> from Turkey and they've, you know, I can whip up a pumpkin soup if unexpected guests arrive and I can, you know, craft so-and-so out of little pieces of gold foil I have laying about. I'm like, that is an unreachable level of perfection in all arenas. But yet, we keep buying the magazine. And I'm thinking that's kind of what the TV shows were like. We just can't stop watching. 
So basically, those are the shows that we're going to have in our heads. Now, I want you all to get the image of this woman in your head. What is she? She's super tidy, always coiffed, perfect hair. She's fairly perfect. She has a 23-inch waist. (laughs) And crinolines under her dress, exaggerating that waist. She's wearing a beautiful dress with her hostess apron on. High heels, pearls. What else? She never has a frown on her face, except for a delicate frown. Like, I'm just a little disappointed in your behavior. Do we all have her in our minds? Do we have her? Now, that is our TV housewife that we're going to be talking about for the show, but I would like to just lead with this super-duper irony. This stay-at-home mom that we're going to be talking about, this non-career mom that we all have our image in our heads, was portrayed by a working woman. They were working actresses that were portraying this ideal. That's the thing. It just keeps keeps me laughing. It's like, oh, she's so perfect. She's an actress. And that actually goes through the whole decade. Interestingly, the, the assorted figures portraying such idealized housewives were writers. Mm-hmm. They were professional home economists. They were psychologists. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting to know that there's some kind of subterfuge going on. Right. This is what I would like to present, but I am totally the opposite. So it's kind of a media-created situation. Image, and we're... We're glamming onto it. So what were the factors that could lead up to such a media blitz? Okay. Okay, so we need to back up about a decade. And you know, we all know what happened in the 40s, World War II. World War II saw so many women entering the workforce. You know, some were war things like the wax and the waves and factory work, but who did the milk routes now that all the milkmen were serving? You know, who ran the shops now that all, you know. Um, um, Now... Marriages themselves, though, increased um, to 2 million mid-war. So, you know, you're looking at 1943, you've got 2 million uh, brides that year, brand-new brides. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody got married before the boys went over. It was, right. That's just what you did. fast. Yeah. Yeah, and babies were up by a third, by the way. So there's another market for products. That's right, the world of baby booms, yeah. But one good thing the wartime um, economy did, the wartime shortages really led to this virtuous ideal of thrift, of DIY, mm-hmm. you know, canning. The absence of men meant, you know, there was no grocery delivery anymore. There's right. no laundry that you can send away. Right. Nobody's going to repair anything unless you do it. And these are the children of the Depression, too. Yes. So they were trained properly. And then factory work, the availability of such meant you could just could say goodbye to domestic servants in the 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. And teens, it was very common for a middle-class family to have at least one right. servant who often lived in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, my house has a facility for a servant downstairs in the basement. Really? So My house has one, too. It's called my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> so the popular sentiment, though, after the war was that women should just go back home. Thanks for thanks for covering. We're all back now. How dare you take a job from a man? Just go back. This is, but it's really impossible to inject, you know, six million women in the workforce and then just pretend, hey, that never happened, did it? I'm sorry that you had to do that, dear. Let's have you back over here. And really, a lot of women were um, had enjoyed that independence, not only getting the paycheck, but they were the bosses of the house. They made all the decisions. Mm-hmm. Their husbands were gone. And right. a lot of time, there was um, some strife. Sure. And these were not old marriages either. These Mm -hmm. were not well-established marriages where they had that first year to buffer it. Mm -mm. It, They had a few days and 
and their husbands went off to war. So when they came back, these were women that hadn't, these were marriages that hadn't been tried yet. Exactly. Yeah. And the socialization machine, I have to say, kind of ramped up. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what I call it. Like women's magazines, like the Ladies Home Journal right. and the Calls. Um, the government would issue pamphlets about thank you wives for your service and, you know, now step aside or basically. Right. <laughs> and um, advertising. I mean, it was like domestic ideology. I mean, domesticity was back in fashion. Let's just put it that way. Um, now they were, the women of this time were just simply raised to be wives and mothers. Their main goal, it seems, was catch and keep a husband. Mm-hmm. Um, no, they're individuals. Sure. I mean, they're not robots. Not everyone no. alike. Or, no. And, the, and another good thing is that individuals kind of change with the times, too. So, you know, you could be resilient in World War Two and this and that. I mean, it's not like a... You don't like become a, sta- stagnant at 20. There's a lot that contributed to this fashion. The suburbs after the war, for all those new little families that mm-hmm. had sprung up, you know, you don't want to live in the house with the mom. No. And the gra- you know, the grandma and the The multi-generational and, housing. No, no, no. So, you know, Levittown, the first right. suburb. Right. Um, all You know, you have them in your town. You can tell exactly when these big tracts were built. It's all these ranch houses from mm-hmm. 52 to 53. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the role of the housewife began to take on this, you know, mythical, exalted, artificial. Yes. Thing it had never, it had just never done before. There was a great separation of spheres. Miss Fifty's TV wife was just playing right into that yep. and setting it up. But the rest of the people that are watching, hey, I guess this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So let's take a little break. And then when we come back, we will talk about some of the statistics and some of the things that were going on. taking a look at the 50s housewife fact versus fiction we've set the stage looked back a few years to see what was going to lay the groundwork for this new woman to emerge and you know here's some statistics for you um during the war during the middle of the war 60.2 percent of married women worked outside the home now that's a lot of it is war work, of course, as we said before. But, interestingly, guess how far it falls? 1950, the beginning of the decade in question, it has fallen to 21.6. Yeah. Did wow. Leave in droves right then. Wow. And, you know, um, the average age of marriage at this time was 20 years. Now, that is an all-time low. I'm talking not even in 1890. Right. Was it this low? Right. Um, now, since statistics of this nature started in 1880, so all I can say is, since 1880, this right. is the lowest. Right. And it didn't come up again until 1973. That, that is interesting. A, that is very interesting. I mean, it's not really just the 50s housewives. We think of the 60s as being this age of liberation, but no, we're still getting married right out of high school, practically. Yep. Um, and average age for men was still only 23. That's like little kids getting married. <laughs> But for real. We don't really want to. That's almost, In their playhouse. Yeah. I can't imagine 23-year-old Susan getting married. Or 20-year-old Susan. Mm-mm. No. Um, now, unmarried men at this time made less money than family men because it was assumed, well, he has a wife to support. Right. He has children. He needs more money. So there was inequality among men, too. But my goodness. 
Any woman that worked was kind of seen as a source of cheap labor, honestly, at this point. Or why was she doing it? Just biding her time until she found a husband? I don't know. know. That was the, now, um, once again, we're talking about white women here. Right. Um, now traditionally, black women had always worked, um, in larger numbers, 50%. Was mm-hmm. their number. Mm-hmm. And that pretty much stayed the same. War, no war, it's about at 50%. But, um, what we're looking at is that, is what society has done to the image of suburban right. white women. So, right. Now, how is it is that the beginning of the decade only cost $14,000? <laughs> Man, if I don't wow. have this house then. I know, really? I mean, a gallon of gas was only 20 cents. A new car was $1,700. Now, did everyone have a car? No. No, they did not. Only three out of five families owned a car. So that's still, that's more than half. Right. And I'm assuming it's one car. Yeah, the family car. Yeah, I don't car. think we're going to have Dad takes it, And Dad takes it to work, too. He, you know, so Mom is left without a car. You know what's interesting about that? I hmm. think I was asking some older friends of mine mm-hmm. about that, and they said once a week or so, mm-hmm. the mom would either accompany dad to work, which is what would usually happen, or she would drive him to work and keep the car for the grocery run. Right. And the theory about women drivers being so bad or whatever, mm-hmm. okay, there's not power steering. And when you corner, you're going to swing way out into traffic if you're just not as strong. Right. I keep thinking that's where that whole, because women statistically are better drivers than men. Now. But, now. But right. I keep thinking back in the day, that was like the popular image because they couldn't, Physically maneuver the car. So this was, that is, they were like, yeah, that's, that's funny. We used to swing way into traffic when my mom drove to the grocery and, store. And those big, tra- and they didn't have to practice. No. I mean, practice makes perfect. I think neither better. of my grandmas knew how to drive. Neither of them. Really? Mm-mm. What else did the families have at, in, uh, in the early fifties? Two out of three families had a fe- telephone. That's important. Although sometimes they were party lines. I know, right? Everybody had a distinctive <laughs> ring, and sometimes for if you were bored, Sarah, <laughs> you could just pick quietly <laughs> up the phone and listen in on somebody's conversation. Fine. That's why people always say, I don't want to talk about it on the phone. Have you ever heard somebody yes. say that, like of an older generation? Oh, this, is, this isn't something to talk about on the phone. So let's do it on, online. <laughs> well, now, yeah. <laughs> Let's put it in writing. Oh, dear. <laughs> Let's see. And one in three homes had a television set. That's quite a bit. For a very new technology. Mm-hmm. So now all the numbers are out of the way. At least, you know, some of them were interesting numbers. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more There's numbers. infinite amounts of numbers in but this world. We don't do numbers so well over here, so that's what you're going to get. So let's talk about society's expectations. Mm-hmm. Of these women. Now, I, I'm going to compress all of these into one simple statement. You were expected to be a satellite to planet husband. <laughs> That's a great sentence. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, super clean house, glamorous appearance, mm-hmm. happy, well-behaved children, not messy in Tidy any way. children. Informed, but not opinionated. Right. Um, you're responsible for your husband's mood. Yeah. Oh, my oh goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All the food. I'm not responsible for anything. 
he was upset. It was obviously something you had done wrong. Did something wrong. Oh my goodness, what was it? I would send the whole family into a tizzy. Dad's on the warpath. We were talking off microphone. You were talking about that episode of um, Leave It to Beaver. Oh, Leave It to Beaver. Okay, so June tells Wally, go in there and take the orange peels off the coffee table or else your father is going to be in such a bad temper all through dinner. Uh And little did they know. Yeah, Wally's like, oh, I don't want him to yell at me again. And little did they know, Ward had come in and was reading his paper, and he goes, oh, the monster has returned to his cave. <laughs> but yeah, she yeah. was, um, but just think about, oh, you better go, you know, Remember clean up this. orange peels. I, everybody, look around at your house. <laughs> if orange peels are your biggest problem, I'm going to give you a round of applause. And if Ward really got put off by orange peels, I'm yeah. like, dude, go eat at the hamburger stands. Seriously. <laughs> No, there's, um, I'm sure we've all seen this list. It was supposedly run in a women's magazine in the 50s of how a, 50, how a housewife is supposed to act. And it includes things like having dinner ready and preparing yourself, take 15 minutes to rest, clear away the clutter, go through the house and pick up the things that are laying around, um, prepare a fire and have a cocktail with them. Okay, that list that you see, it, it, it's fabricated. Someone, there's never been any proof that we can find that says that that was actually from a woman's magazine. But, but that said, there are verifiable sources that wait. have very, the same sentiments. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, yes. a famous cookbook from 1958 called The Bride's Cookbook. Mm-hmm. And I quote, the distinction between male glory and female subservience deserves to be honored wherever it appears in the kitchen or any place else. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to take the other side of this just just for a minute here and let's okay. just talk about this. Because <laughs> we're sitting here in 2011 and going, oh, my goodness, this is so archaic. Oh, my goodness, this is so one-sided. And, yeah, in some regards, it it is. But we're not looking at it the way that the happy, the truly happy housewives of the time looked at it, and that was it was an equal partnership between the man and the woman. He did his chores, she did her chores. It was a delineation of responsibilities within the home that made the home run that could foster happiness. Oh, I'm not saying everybody was unhappy. Yeah. By any means. Yeah. No, no, no. But just we like, just sit here and we're going, oh, oh my goodness. goodness. I mean, I'm doing the same thing. But we have to realize that this is, and even in today's world, while the percentage of stay-at-home moms has really plummeted, um, there, there is a subculture of women that this is, this is how they live and they are very happy because it's an equal partnership. But that's where the difference is. is we think, oh, the man is trying to take advantage of me. But if they're going at it together, not so much. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out. Well, I guess on his side too though, um, it's assumed that he has no idea what to do with the oven. Right. So, you know, it's kind of dismissive on his side too. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, obviously, dear, don't worry, I'll just do it because I can't trust you in my kitchen. Yeah. With the ham loaf or some absurd <laughs> recipe that's been coming out. But yeah, no, that's more, that is definitely portrayed in those two. So there is a downside for the men too. They're just assumed to know nothing about domestic matters. Right. So I, you know, and they're not allowed to make any decisions on home decor. No. I don't know how much that's changed <sighs> really. My husband's really good about picking things though. Well, I've talked before on the show about how happy I was the day that bachelor couch died. So, yeah. In our master bedroom in our home is a life-size cutout of George Bush. Honest, I can't make this up. I can't say anything. I don't know what to say. 
<laughs> I screamed. <laughs> well, it's a full-size cutout of some man. I mean, I'm sure you walk in and then you're like, what? It's behind her, like a sofa oh, in the that corner. Scare, that yeah, scare me. it scared that poo out of me. He was so proud of himself for having brought home this. Yeah. Bless his heart. And I left it because it meant a lot to him. <laughs> so just as all these modern conveniences came along and, you know, time-saving devices, time-saving food, the, the expectations for everything ramped way up. So mm-hmm. you thought you were saving all this time, and then it's like, guess what? Good enough is no longer good enough. You must achieve perfection. The cult of gracious living came about. <laughs> I think that cult is still active today. Well, um, women's colleges had deportment classes. Women's colleges were, it took the cream of the brainiac crops would literally tell you how to sip your bouillon from a cup or the proper way to cross your legs or which fork was for what. I mean, fair enough, but these late, it was a required class and these ladies are the brains of their generation. I think that's covered a little in a movie with Julia Roberts called Mona Lisa Smile. Uh-huh. Oh, Do you remember yes. that? Yes. How they were. I completely forgot about that movie. That is a great one. And yes. so here are these ladies who could run rings around any of the most intelligent men mm-hmm. of their generation yes. are standing there with problems like, your husband has brought his boss home for dinner. <laughs> He's bringing another couple. What do you do? <laughs> One eight hundred dominoes. <laughs> what? Stick cocktail boots. So this <laughs> dude picks with the little frillies on it. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. So th- this was the golden age of home ec classes. Yes. Do they still have home ec? Uh, yes, they do, but it's not called home ec it's anymore. Called, like, it's consum- family and consumer sciences. Um, yes, they do, and they teach cooking, but they also teach um, modern world, how to get live in the modern I world. I keep thinking that class, don't quote me here, but I keep thinking that kind of class is coming back into fashion. Not only, and they might even call it home ec again in a retro nod or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, there's culinary programs kind of springing up in high schools. And I say hooray, because I think that's probably part of the problem is people don't know how to make, you know, you're all going out to the fast food or whatever. And like, nobody's ever really taught in school how to do all that stuff. Right. And if your mom, I mean, half of my friends don't cook. Oh, I don't cook. You do what? What's the stove for? I mean, they really don't cook. Yeah. And I just, to me, that just seems, I guess of the two of us sitting here right now, I more represent that 50s stay-at-home mom um, in, in the responsibilities that I have day to day because that's what yeah. that's what I do. So I think right. I'm going to be defensive. No, not really. Okay. <laughs> anyway, well, I have to say that um, in my home at class in junior high school, I swear the textbook was from the 50s. I mean, mm-hmm. who eats tuna croquettes? Who eats yeah. pineapple frothy souffle upside down cake with maraschino cherry. I mean, okay, I like pineapple. Cinnamon, no, no, it's but, delicious, but yeah, it's like to be taught yeah. to make that. That's yeah. not going to come up a lot. But no. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I remember taking it and I we started cooking very early in our house because I did have a working mother and we cooked at age nine. We each took my brothers and I each took a night and we cooked dinner and so I was cooking full dinners and I took home back in high school and they're like, Cook this can of green beans. I used to really like that. Like sometimes you could pull off the brownies or some kind of yeah, but tuna yeah. croquettes, whoa. I know some foods. I made banana bread in homage, and the house smells really good, but I, I should have delicious. made martinis. Oh, you should have. We just had coffee. Well, fail. And it's too late. I won't have so. time to burn it off. <laughs> um, it's funny because the 
the media um, kind of hammered through this whole decade that housekeeping and family management offer the fullest opportunities to express yourself and and to use your capabilities. Mm-hmm. It was just that that was the constant message. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fair enough, because as you said, many women saw that as an equal partnership. And if it was, I say more power to them. Yes. If it was. If it was. And, and there's certainly a lot of opportunities for it not to be. And interestingly enough, some right about now, early 50s, came this phenomenon that has been repeated very recently. It's so interesting to me to read this. We're all familiar with the phrase mommy blogger. Some of us are mommy bloggers. Yeah, so calling us that isn't all that offensive. Go on. <laughs> right about now came this whole series of um, women writers. Mm-hmm. Um, the most famous one didn't come till the 60s. We'll talk about her in a second. But, um, for example, have you ever seen, not the current one with Steve Martin, fail, a movie called Cheaper by the Dozen? Yes. I'm talking the black and white one, mm-hmm. um, by the way. The second daughter, Ernestine Gilbreth Carey, wrote a book called A Mother's Place Can Be in Business, all about how to make working motherhood work. Mm-hmm. She said, everyone will tell you that a mother's place is in the home and that that is a full-time job in itself. Don't expect anyone to clap you on the back and urge you to take the plunge and have a combination of family and job. This was 1946 that she started to write this book. But, you know, she had a weird... Example, because her mother was a psychologist married to an industrial engineer, and they um, basically treated their house as a motion study laboratory her whole <laughs> life. By the way, her mother was the inventor of the step trash can. Really? That you have in your kitchen right now. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So the mom in Cheaper by the Dozen is an industrial engineer. So... Ernestine Gilbreth mm-hmm. didn't have... <laughs> it wasn't that your stereotypical household. No, no, no. Not at all. But you know what's really sad? There were no real takers for that book. Nobody wanted to publish it. Mm-hmm. Nobody really wanted it. And so she wrote another book, like a Drank the Kool-Aid book, called Rings Around Us, all about hijinks and Sue. We have messes, and it's so funny. And it was all cheerful in tone and everything. And that got snapped up. Sure. Interesting. Well, girls got to make a living. No, that's true. (laughs) And then Peg Bracken wrote a book Mm -hmm. later. My mother had this book. I remember this. It's called the I Hate to Cook book. Uh (laughs) So these little voices of, like, funny discord were coming out. But she wrote, you watch your friends redoing their kitchens and buying cookbooks called Eggplant comes to the party. And you begin to feel kind of (laughs) (laughs) un-American. I want a book called Eggplant comes to the party. (laughs) I totally do. Yeah. And you know the most famous one, but she doesn't come till later, Irma Bombeck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's a 60s yeah. phenomenon. Yes. We, we, she needs her own episode. Yeah, she really does. Yeah, we need to pay proper homage. So um, so basically what you're looking at is these are the deuces, mm-hmm. and then all the other ladies are the Pioneer Woman block. <laughs> But Pioneer Woman's got a TV show. I didn't see it. She's transforming. I know. Her media empire. We've all seen it. Her blog is gorgeous. Yeah. So um, so men were expected to just breadwin their little hearts out and just stay out of the way, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stay out of the kid raising. My own grandfather-in-law kind of bemoans the fact that that was his expectation was to just come home, sit on the couch, distribute paddling, and be the loud voice, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Mom did all the rest. Wait, wasn't there at the delivery? No. <laughs> my own father wasn't at my delivery, I don't think. No, my father was not at uh, ours. 
You know, interesting that you would talk about parenting. Um, there's a famous book that came out this decade called Dr. Spock's mm-hmm. Baby and Child Care. And women really took to that. It's like, yes. finally, there's... Everything was um, scientific. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a manual. Thank goodness. If I do this, then this will happen. Yes. Did your parents have one of those? Oh, yeah. Dog years. I'm, sh- I'm sure everyone yeah. had that book. Now, the good thing is, finally, in all of our subjects up till now, we've had to talk about infant mortality, but you know this decade, it was less than 1%. Finally. <gasps> Yay. Finally. Yay. No, not to say it was so beautiful because... um. There was a specter kind of stalking called polio. Mm-hmm. It hit about yeah. 12,000 kids to the point of dying and then innumerable more kids to the point where they had to be in an iron lung no, or yeah. something went wrong with their leg. And my own mother talks about how she was not allowed to go to the swimming pool during mm-hmm. certain months of the summer for fear of polio. Yeah. And so in the 50s was the great change in that situation because Jonas Salk made the polio vaccine. Yep. Can you imagine being part of the experimental wave of kids, like your mother letting you get that vaccine, knowing what that disease is? Yeah. That's amazingly brave of those moms, but man. Another downside of the 50s that we don't really think when we think of this idealized woman is that there was actually a recession in the early 50s. It was kind of brought about by the Korean War and Federal Reserve changed its policies. Uh, It was not long-lived, but it was a recession, so they had to haul up their skills for money saving. It's the beginning of this time that we're talking about. So we we think of prosperity during this era, but it wasn't all prosperous. You know, World War II rationing did not even end till 1954. Right. Ooh, I have a piece of trivia for you. (gasps) Let me have to guess what the very last thing taken off rationing was. Should I guess or do you want oh, to just tell me? I don't know. If I were to guess, I would say pantyhose. Bananas. Oh. And weirdly enough, you know, you know the Twinkie. You know that iconic American. Yes. Uh, very well. Deep fried, <laughs> fairground, long lasting. Yeah, yeah. Snack yeah, food. Yeah. yeah. Um, used to have banana filling. I did know that. Yes. Yeah. And so the bananas obviously got rationed during the war and then Mm -hmm. they spent so long off the table bananas that people grew to love the vanilla ones better. And so we don't have banana Twinkies today. Maybe they should do an issue like a special edition banana. Yeah. Retro retro Twinkies. You heard it here first. Retro Twinkies, please. Okay, so the family incomes, though, started to turn around after this recession. You know, by the end of the decade, they were twice as much Mm -hmm. as they were at the beginning. They had been freed from penny-pinching. Now, imagine, if you will, the penny-pinching that had gone on during the war, during the Depression. Mm -hmm. They're free now. It's like winning the lottery. So, you know what happens when somebody's given exorbitant amounts of money all of a sudden. Yes. With The buying power was something else. And status became equated with buying power. Mm -hmm. Simultaneously, the packaged food industry was trying to woo all these housewives. And with things like canned hamburgers, fail. Yeah. You never know what's going to work. Frozen crepe Suzette. (laughs) Okay. And then it's so funny because at the beginning, there was this great reliance on convenience foods. But what they termed convenience foods at the beginning of the 50s, Mm -hmm. you and I are just like, huh? Bread in a package? In a package is a convenience food. That's a convenience food. Well, the refrigerators were getting bigger. They were no longer ice boxes. So they could hold these frozen foods as disgusting as they may be. (laughs) But the funny thing is we like, oh, that's okay. I'd try crepes, Suzette. I'd nuke it for three minutes. But no, you had to put them in the oven and bake them for 
An hour. I remember TV dinners in the oven. I do, too. Those were some nasty, nasty fare. <laughs> we had them whenever babysitters came over with the metal top. Foil. Mm-hmm. And they were all hot, and you get the TV stand. And There's a restaurant in New York City up until very recently that used to sell TV dinners, like straight off the menu. And Kraft Macaroni and Cheese. Yes. Like after bar food, I think they were open at, you know, 2 or 3 in the morning and then until really? breakfast. And they used to have TV dinners. Mm-hmm. On the menu. And mac and cheese. And I'm not, I'm talking craft mac and cheese, not that the yeah. chef has whipped it out. Right, the blue they box. were blatantly saying, we are going to be making you classic blue. Well, there's lots of people out there where if you say we're having mac and cheese, they are expecting the blue box. It's a flashback, that yellow cheese product. Kind of like it. I do too. And I'm married to a chef. I made homemade real the real stuff macaroni and cheese the other night and the family was like, yeah it's okay. Oh, unappreciative. I know. Oh, you should bring some to me. I would eat it. Oh, okay. Even though I'm low carbing people, I'm not. It's not He's going low, so well. Yeah, I just ate a big old piece of banana banana bread. bread. Uh, okay, but some of the combinations were not as delicious as banana bread. <laughs> That was a fine transition. Thank you. Um, okay. Put, wrap your mind around this situation. Okay. Cream tuna and peanuts poured over canned asparagus. It sounds like licking the side of an aquarium <laughs> to me. A can, soggy canned asparagus. And cream tuna, tuna with pe- crunchy peanuts in it. Seriously. Peanuts. Like, like peas. And then a salad. No. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Salad. Yeah, salad. No. Of macaroni. Pineapple, peanuts, cabbage, olives, marshmallows, and mayonnaise. <laughs> Get those marshmallows in there. Like, what the heck? There is a book. There is a book. Oh, oh. And a website. Yes. It started out as a blog, which is good, called um, The Gallery of Regrettable Food, which we will link you to. Uh-huh. Basically, he goes through thrift stores and estate sales and picks up all these ridiculous cookbooks. Uh-huh. Often um, food companies would get these poor home economists like, okay, put our product, you know, our creamed onions or whatever it was, in, in some recipes. Right. And some of these recipes are absolutely hilarious. Right. And he kind of takes them apart, you know, sarcastically. It's really funny. Yeah. So we'll link you to that. We'll totally link you, yeah. And then um, the Jello mold Ugh. had reached new heights in the 50s. The things that can put in jello molds, um, my husband remembers an aunt who always used to bring gr- um, grape, celery, pecan, and pearl onion jello to parties to the point where they made such a joke of it that one time she made it with nuts, bolts, um, <laughs> little screws. Like she just like made it the same but put yeah. all that stuff in instead and yeah. it was comedy after That's that. Funny. There's a lot of cookbooks in the thrift store. Next yeah. time you're at a thrift store shopping for fabulous vintage clothes, which I highly recommend, head by the <laughs> but not shoes in size six because Beckett will. No, no, mine. Um so <laughs> head there because that's a spot you just, you can, you're gonna bypass gold if you bypass the cookbook section. Yes. Even just to laugh at and have uh, laying around your kitchen like people think you're gonna cook from it. Oh man. For decorative items, I think that's a good, that's a good thing to have. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, very much. There was kind of an, an interesting dichotomy right now between real cooking and convenience food cooking. There's, um, okay. There's a writer that I love. I love her so much, called M.F.K. Fisher, Mary Frances K. Fisher, who went to Europe and just, she was like the real food writer. Mm-hmm. The blog, currently, Ornjet, real food writer. Okay. Then there was the Josie McCarthy writer, who is like the what's-her-name semi-homemade. Oh, yes. Sandra now, something. Yeah. 
And so who, who is most popular? Do you think? I'm going with semi-homemade. Yeah. Yeah. Glamorizing food tray chic. Glamorizing mint. Put some pineapple on it. (laughs) Or sherry was another instant. Oh, we're, we're upper class now with the sherry or crab meat. Deviled eggs with crab meat. Oh, well, you might as well be going to the White House. I might actually eat a deviled egg with crab meat. Shishi it up. Or anything, um, flaming. Mm Oh, yeah. Yeah. We went through a flaming phase or with in my youth. toothpick in it. Yeah. <laughs> I was saying, put the pizza with the toothpick. <laughs> so in Mademoiselle, they wrote, Fair reader, sometime or other you have to eat. You haven't the time or space or mood to dream of an angel food cake. Nevertheless, you can serve exciting victuals all out of cans, but with verve, dear, with verve. <laughs> <laughs> James Beard Award, or at least maybe I have. Yes. It's a very famous award given to very famous chefs. This is the era of James Beard Mm -hmm. himself. Um, So everyone's not about to spend all day making these recipes out of Gourmet Magazine, Mm -hmm. but they sure love to read about it, and they sure love to talk about it, but... (laughs) When time came, they gave them the creamed tuna fish over spirit. Well, one of the best-selling cookbooks of the time was the Can Opener Cookbook. That was, like, the hottest... The hottest selling, I don't know, it's cracking me up. And so the marketers, you know, the marketers knew who their people were. Oh, sure. Uh, And and they would say things in their ads like, don't check your brains at the door. The kind of thinking that got you an A in English will stand you in good stead when you cook. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So all this cooking in the air really led the manufacturers to um, kind of target the kitchen as their, you know, hub. And a lot of the ranch houses were made with kind of open plan kitchens. Mm-hmm. And that I think that really helped the the wife maybe feel like she wasn't, you know, shut away somewhere. In a corner. In a corner because um most ladies of this time, despite modern conveniences, spent three hours in the kitchen. In physically in, in the, the kitchen. kitchen. If you ran home from school and you were trying to find your mother, chances are you'd have a best kitchen. shot in the kitchen. Yep. So appliances, appliances. Mm-hmm. Oh, could you inspire envy in your friends with a new appliance? Free your wife from dishpan drudgery, says an ad. I'm like, oh, thanks. I see so many ads with appliances with Christmas bows on them. <laughs> I, they could have been very welcome. I just don't know. But I don't want one. Uh-uh. No. But then, you know what, though? Think about, like, if somebody had given you a, a Dyson vacuum cleaner. Right. And you just had a carpet sweeper before. Yeah. So, fair enough. Maybe they happy. Maybe they are as ecstatic as they seem in the pictures. Maybe. I don't know. Oh, darling. Mm. But you know what? Women burnt three times more calories than today. Yeah. Doing housework. Maybe that accounts for those 23-inch waists. Maybe. It certainly didn't come from their diets. Which, <laughs> I mean, seriously. Fat grams, fat grams, fat grams. Yep, yep, yep. Vacuum cleaners alone weighed 16 pounds. Is that amazing? 16 pounds. So she couldn't drive a car, but she could push a 16-pound vacuum cleaner? Hmm. Different muscle Well, groups? and washers were still on casters, and you had to roll it up. Clothes washers. Yeah. yeah. Roll it up to the sink. You know, in fact, Tide came out mid-century. Tide, you yeah. know, de- detergent, laundry detergent. Right. They had to cut people off. <laughs> they had to cut people off and limit quantities when it first came out because it was such, a, like, a miracle 
of chemical engineering and, and made the wash come out so nicely comparatively. I mean, I guess yeah. if you're using borax or whatever. Um, so anyway, they had to limit, you know, one per customer, please, because right. there was such a run on Tide. Is that hilarious? That is- uh, so everything, faster, easier, magic. <laughs> it's an exciting time to be alive, Lots I would say. exclamation points all over those ads. Yes. I would say so. And I have been trolling the antique stores looking inside of refrigerators. <gasps> oh, my goodness. I do that, too. It's interesting. It's very interesting the way that the way that they were designed with Lazy Susans in them and carousels for different products. It's almost like a um, archaeological experiment to open one up and try and figure out, oh, this is where those orange juice, those frozen orange juices in the freezer or all those egg cups. Yeah. Or the milk bottle. Sometimes you don't even have to guess because sometimes on the door will be a diagram teaching you, here's where you put this. Femigineered, meaning women have helped to design the layout or whatever. I'm just like. Femigineered. Femigineered. Femme engineered those girdles and those pointy bras. The bra wasn't invented by a woman. Well, I mean, the point, you know, the, oh, the yes. silhouette of the 50s woman mm-hmm. with the... Mm-hmm. Wasn't that ad where she's like, I dreamed I was something in my maiden form bra, and it was a woman just in her bra, just Cleaning? at the playground or oh. at on the bus or... <laughs> Seriously, I'll have to post a link to that. So did the average housewife really vacuum in stilettos and pearls? Well, I have to tell you, I'd like to say no. She did not, and I just, in my personal research for this, she did not. My mother-in-law, who was not a 50s housewife, she didn't even graduate high school until 1960, her mother was a 50s housewife. And I said, what kind of shoes did she wear? And she said, Harachis in the spring and like a sneaker in the in the winter. Interesting. And so I went online and I looked up vintage Harachis. And she's like, yes, those are them. Now, there are stories about women who would leave a pair of stilettos by the door. Mm-hmm. They did wear them out. If she were to go shopping, mm-hmm. she said she would put her sh- her nice heels shoes on. on. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, you know, perhaps depending on your particular husband's preferences, perhaps you would change into them, like Mister Rogers. Yeah, when he comes. He home. comes. He puts sneakers on. Now, um, lipstick was a big, mm-hmm. pretty much always, always with the lipstick. Although that's pretty easy. Your shiny yes. new appliances would serve as a fine mirror. <laughs> If you heard him coming through the door. So um, so the weekly shampoo set was uh, mm-hmm. definitely in place. Yeah. You didn't really typically wash your hair at home. No. It was a- but that's also a social time. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they did have a lot of social situations, you know, hanging up the laundry with your neighbor in the backyard. That was... That's true. Dryers came a lot mm-hmm. later than washers. Yeah. yeah the- There's something that we're missing by not having that kind of stuff anymore, I think. I don't know. The... The social interaction, you mean? Of yeah, and it's just like, you know. Or having your undergarments out for the neighbors <laughs> to see. Would you wear nicer undergarments if the neighbors saw oh, them? Probably. Yeah, I'm kidding. Man, it's like society's <laughs> pressure extends to the undergarment. Wow. Didn't think about that. No, we do. So um, let's take just a, a little break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about maybe a little bit of the of the downside of housewifery. Baby, your house is getting dirty And it needs cleaning all the time See how much dirt you might find 
Welcome back. Now let's talk about the dark side of house whiffery. So on this roller coaster that is this show, we are going to take a little valley on the track before we come back up. There are some problems in reality that never really get addressed mm-hmm. in our TV shows or yep. in the popular media. Um, some serious, some not serious. The labor-saving devices and the packaged food, everything. This will make your life easier. This is blah, blah, blah. You know, the expectations rose with the time savings. Sure. Almost exactly. Housewives in this decade averaged 53 hours a week on duties directly related to the house. That is just astonishing to me. Um, and now, that's not doing like, like plumbing or. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. Or painting the house. No. That's keeping it tidy and. And the thing cooking. is that statistic really has not changed that much. Um, in the intervening decades. Now, working women were spending 34 hours on housework and that's after their 40 hours of other work. That statistic hasn't really changed either. So, man, we need some kind of real labor-saving device. <laughs> we what? need Rosie from the Jetsons. We do. So, you know, um, we need something to really bring that those numbers down <laughs> yeah. before we all crack. So if you feel like you're cracking, that would be why. Yeah. That's a lot it's of hours. Your, yeah, it's, it is. That is a lot of hours. Um... Also, women of this decade were seen as the key if the child was successful or not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, baby and child care gave you a formula, but if that child fails at school, it's on you, the mother. mother. If your marriage fails, no matter what, it's on you. Right. Because obviously you weren't making the home a haven, or else right. he wouldn't have acted like that. Yeah, pretty much. Isn't that funny to take away the power overtly mm-hmm. and then just put it all on her? In the back end? Yeah. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. So, um, a little bit, woe well, betide the woman that wanted a little bit more, um, tranquilizer use skyrocketed. <laughs> well, seriously? Yeah. Also, um, diet pills, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's just speed. Yeah. Well, you know, and even back in the day, back in this day, they didn't want women when they were pregnant to get, to gain excessive amounts of weight. So they often, gave them diet pills to keep their help keep their weight down so that they had a healthy pregnancy. Does that sound like the lowering treatment given to Princess I, Charlotte? That's exactly what I thought. Yep. 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 Plus they were also smoking. Smoking was big back then. Now have you seen the the Yaya Sisterhood uh-huh. movie where all of them have I don't know if it's even in the movie, it's in the book where all of them there's a picture of all of them with a martini and a cigarette and they're all four super pregnant. Uh-huh. Yes. Then that was, that was the reality. So, yeah. So drinking, smoking, and on diet pills. <laughs> um, a lot of problems like, you know, that make the news now, abuse, domestic problems, um, were just swept into the rug. They just didn't exist, uh, as far as society was concerned. And it was an embarrassment. And yeah, you kept it all. Yeah. To yourself. And a lot of women were feeling there was this other 
basically media-created phenomenon called The Trapped Housewife. This is very late 50s. And I think it exploited some of the feelings. Any day you have, you're going to be like, well, that stinks or whatever. But they just took that stinks feeling and kind of made it like women are explaining that they feel trapped. They feel blah, blah, blah. And um, Betty Friedan came along uh-huh. with the feminine mystique and um, kind of rode that train. Uh, that's a whole other podcast. We're not going to talk about that right now. But that this is the beginning of. Because she call- was a housewife. She was. She was a housewife. Yes. That decided that she wanted more um, mm-hmm. from her life, life and sure. what the society, as it was getting more and more restrictive, honestly, it, it kind of became um, very rule bound there toward the end of the decade. So I don't blame anyone for feeling a little bit like, whoa, this is not at all what I signed up right, for right. here. So, um, yeah, so that's the beginning of second wave um, feminism right in there at the end of the 50s with the publication of that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and but those that didn't, I wonder how many marriages caught caught up in the feminine mystique. And I don't know. Was there a feminine mystique basis for divorce? I mean, you know. Wow. Well, okay. Here's another movie reference for you okay. in Pleasantville. Yes. When the women finally went, you know what? I don't really feel like ironing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Did you see the men huddled in the bowling alley? Yes. Like things are wrong something's happening and i wonder if that's parodying a larger societal phenomenon that right was perhaps happening in the late 50s perhaps but the the main thing is that those that couldn't grow up in this kind of family or didn't most black families mm-hmm. a significant amount you know 25 to 30 percent of you know lower income households there's no way the the wives were working that's right. just it. and to survive right not because of any you know suburban Myth. Right. Um, they were often very bewildered, especially the children who had seen these, these women on TV and wondered why their own houses didn't operate like this. It was, um, it was kind of, kind of sad if, if you're marketed to, to think that everyone should be like this and, and then not, and they're yeah. nowhere near that. No. So that wasn't the good. That is a downside. That is a dark side. That is a very big dark side. So now let's take a hill on our roller coaster. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk about some. This man, we could have read the number of books that I found, the number of links Susan found that mean infinite in their scope and possibility. <laughs> if oh, you yeah. would like to read about this topic, you should have no problem. Oh, no, Just no, no. find the thing that interests you and go with it. Speaking of the dark side, The Way Things Never Were by Norman Finkelstein talks about common myths of the 50s and why those were not true. Right. And it, it looks at a couple decades following, but yeah. that whole gener- that whole era, yes. A highly recommended book about cooking, about processed foods, about home economists called Something from the Oven by Laura Shapiro. Mm-hmm. Love yes. it. Like that one. Highly yes. recommend. Then a fun look at especially ads and magazine features of the decade called Retro Housewife by Kristen Tillotson. And then a book that is good for a lot of podcasts called A History of the Wife by Marilyn Yalom, L-A-Y-A-L-O-M. My goodness. Yes, that's a good that book. one goes way back. It goes all the way back to medieval times. Um, and then several things that we mentioned, like the I Hate to Cook book by mm-hmm. Peg Bracken is a good read. Yeah. Even if you don't make anything yeah. out of it, it's a good read <laughs> if you find it, you know, at a thrift store, which you may, it was a very popular selling book. Um, any Irma Bombecks, although they're a little bit out of our period, yeah. will give you the feel. Right. Yeah. Good. For the reality. 
So if you're clicking around online, which is what I want to do, you can click on over to Hulu and you can watch until you fall asleep or throw up or whatever. <laughs> you can watch Father Knows Best. You can watch I Love Lucy's. You can watch Leave It to Beavers. You can watch Donna Reed's. You can watch Dick Van Dyke shows, which is that started in the early 60s. But even then, when Mary Tyler Moore was, they were costuming her for her role as Laura, she had to fight to be able to wear those super cute capri pants that she wore all the time she had to fight for that hmm. which is kind of that was kind of so you can watch those and then you can there is a whole subculture out there of women who are looking at this 50s housewife and wondering not only what was she about what was the good side can i do it in today's world and the one that becca and i loved the most is the 50s housewife experiment um it's a blog the called Jen, but never Jen, J-E-N-N. Her name is Jennifer Bick, Jen Bick. Um, she's a Toronto-based white writer. And in 2010, she did two weeks as a 50s housewife doing what she could based on magazines and reference books of the era to see if she could apply that to her life as, as a married woman. They didn't have any kids. But she set some goals for herself, some parameters, and it's just a really interesting read to see, and she's a very funny writer, so it's just a very interesting read to see how it applied to her life, and she kept some of the things that she learned, and she tossed out some other things, like a lot of the recipes, because <laughs> she made some of those horrendous ones that you were talking about, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, and she's got pictures, and I'm just like, hurl. <laughs> so we will definitely... um link you up to her because we we both really like that blog. Well, also the Gallery of Regrettable Food cannot yes. miss. No. James Lilacs, L I L E K S, but um we'll put a link, but yeah, cannot miss that blog. Um he's got several books that are completely funny. So, um yeah, do go over there and just uh watch your mouth drop open not in desire for such food, but out of shock that people actually put that in their heads. <laughs> Um, another blog that was interesting is the 50s housewife. She's, she's, it's 50shousewife.blogspot.com and it's retro homemaking. So it's contemporary, but with a retro eye. And that was, um, it was kind of pioneer woman-y, um, things that she does. And that was kind of good. And there is one and darn, if I can find it again, I thought I bookmarked it and I will find it and I will link you up, but it's, um, the blog is written from a very Christian perspective. So it's it's a very interesting read with a different spin that says this is the ideal. And one of her blogs where she just talked about that fake list of things that was being mm-hmm. circulated had over a 100 responses saying, yes, that's right. This is the way we're supposed to be in our marriages. So I will link you up if I can find her again, because that was an interesting, it was a very interesting read. And don't forget some movies to watch. <gasps> definitely watch Pleasantville. Yes, just indeed. definitely do it. 1998 movie with Reese, Reese Witherspoon and Tobey Maguire. Oh my gosh, so funny! It's a send up, basically, of every 50s stereotype. I mean, the way the mom piles on the breakfast, <laughs> the breakfast in the morning. Food. They sit down. These two teenagers from modern era are transported back to their favorite TV show in the 50s. And the breakfast is the first thing that they get. And it's stacks of waffles and pancakes and eggs and bacon. And a ham steak. And mom is just piling their food on their plates, telling them to have a good breakfast. It's like, oh, my God. 
<laughs> you have to roll me away from the table. Um, and don't um, be thrown because it really does start out in black and white. Right. It's not your TV. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not, that doesn't stream on Netflix, but you can get the DVD. That's so sad. I know. Also, um, Peggy Sue Got Married, which does stream. I just watched it yesterday, as a matter of fact. I know. The 1986 movie um, with Kathleen Turner and um, as the title role, and Nicolas Cage is in it. I get very young, get Nicolas Cage. And I remember seeing this movie back in the 60s in the theaters. In the, the 80s. 80s? In the 60s. Back when I was in the trip. <laughs> I remember seeing this movie back in the 80s when it came out in the theater, and I remember thinking that Kathleen Turner looked too old for the part, but now... Now looking from my more mature eye, um, I thought she looked, she was more, she was t- more fitting than I remembered her being. But anyway, it's a, it's a fun look back. The mother in that movie is kind of funny. She's, she's trying, she's selling her gold because she needs some pin money because she's decided she was going to vote Democrat in the next election. And you know how your father feels about Democrats. So she just wasn't sure what her future was. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> there was, yeah, it was very cute. So, um, also Mona. Lisa Smile, mm-hmm. and um, as a matter of fact, she has a unit on advertisements of the 50s that she shows her college-age students mm-hmm. and basically berates them and says, is this how you want history to remember you? Is it? It's funny that we're talking, it's like irony within an irony yeah. here that we are talking about this look back at right. the 50s, but she yells at them, like, look, stop, you know, look at ourselves. It's very interesting. And then um, don't miss thrift stores everywhere. Honestly, impractical aprons can be found wherever oh, thrift stores are. Oh, I actually am an apron girl because I'm a really sloppy cook. And I have a, a friend who's a sewer, sewer, seamstress, whatever. She sews. And she, like, feeds me aprons. <laughs> <laughs> I love her for that. So thank you, other Susan. Well, cookbooks, sandwich plates, which is mm-hmm. they had a cup for the bullion. Uh-huh. And then a cup for your little Sammy. Yeah. Cute. Yeah. For your bridge. Bridge, Did you ever drink bullion when you weren't sick? I don't think I've ever drunk bullion. Or hot jello, which is another 50s remedy. Hot jello. Oh, I thought I did for my kids when they were sick. I've never heard of that before. It's hot, like, you know, if they have a cold or something. I've never heard of that before doing research for this podcast. Hot jello. Well, anyway, old magazines can also mm-hmm. be found. And that's, um, you know, and the articles, 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 the, are, the advertisements are quite interesting. Yes, I have to agree. Yeah. So, Beckett, let me ask you. Is there anything of the idealized 50s housewife that you would like to take into your life besides the shoes? Nope. Well, now, hey, here's this one thing. <laughs> All right, the, the drinking. <laughs> yeah, the drinking. No. no, okay, my husband and I just had this little joking bet this morning. I said, okay, any day you get home by 530, I will meet you by the door with the cocktail. Okay, because you know what? That's not going to happen. I was pretty safe making this bet. And if it does come about that he comes home at 530, he's a chef, keep in mind. There's something kind of comforting in everybody knowing what their role is, I will say. And, you know, I'd like to turn out a good pot roast. I suppose I could do that anyway with a little application of effort. (laughs) It's not that hard. There's things. temperature, long time. Well, there you go. See, that's just, you know, one of those things I just haven't applied myself. When you could just go to the, you could just go to the market and just, whatever. Anyway, um, I just don't know. What about here? While I'm thinking, why don't you say what you would like from the 50s housewife? Well, um, I think that I would like to find, try and find some of the joy in doing the drudgery. 
that they seem to portray to see if it's possible to take that in, to do it, you know, to be that I'm dusting for my family, not just dusting because, oh my goodness, you can write your name in the coffee table. I don't, I don't know. Maybe going back to the family dinner where everybody sits around the table, which I think you still have. I will never have because my husband is just plain old unavailable at dinner. That's a fact. So, right. Yeah, we have that. We have, I mean, like I said before, I think a lot of our, Life is actually was closer to this ideal. No, so maybe you should do a 50s experiment. I I should? Yeah. In my free time? (laughs) Sure, I will. Well, I mean... Well, yeah, because I'm older than Jen in the blog, Mm -hmm. and we do have three children. That was the ideal in the 50s, three children. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll try it for a day. (laughs) So, um, So the legacy of these ladies... I would say there has been lately a modern just domestic resurgence. Is it brought about by the recession? Is it brought about by the pace of life just getting to a certain point where people have to pull back? I mean, knitting, sewing, canning, just basically, what should I call it, nesting in general, like making the home a haven mm-hmm. is fashionable again. It's been yeah. out of fashion the 60s and 70s. In 80s and 90s, (laughs) not so much about the haven. Yeah. You know, and now everybody's kind of turning inward a little bit. Maybe all that, you know, uncertainty about the economy or whatever. And I would say that's a positive development. Yes. I should just leave you with a quote from a book called Retro Housewife, A Salute to the Suburban Superwoman. And she, uh, Kristen Tillotson, the author, writes, Nostalgia has never been so popular, but the 50s housewife is no mass-produced tchotchke. Ten point word. She's a warm and fuzzy rose tinted memory that's based on something real, the love and security she created. I would take that. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. For show notes and links to the things we talked about today, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at the History Chicks with, with an, an X. X. Or like us on Facebook without an X. If you'd like to send real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. The music in our podcast comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com. Well, I do so love them cheese and fries and that grease and brown gravy makes me lose my mind. But I'd give it all up in the blink of a night if you was only cooking at home. I'd like to butter my greens and eat them hot. Garlic mashed potatoes always hit the spot But I'd push away the plate and empty the pot If you was only cooking at home You gotta cook me something better Better than I've had before You gotta cook me something better If you wanna keep the notches on your door No, I'm not misogynistic or caught in the past Traditional gender roles are antiquated to cast But when it comes to loving, I'll be there in a flash If you was only cooking at home Ever pulled away. <laughs> Not like Donna Reed ever farted. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta cook yourself a better. 
Something into that banana bread. <laughs>